speak out, not because I want something for me, but because I want accountability. I want the people responsible for that day, including Trump and anybody else who conspired to breach the Capitol and try to halt our democracy to pay a price, just like we paid a price. And I want us to never repeat a day like that. It is a stain on our nation. These pleas are made by Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn in his recently published book, Standing My Ground, a compelling insider account of the unfolding events of January 6th, 2021. Dunn's ongoing story as a witness and his willingness to engage with the media, lawmakers, and the public provides a backdrop for examining the political and racial divides in this country, which we must overcome to demand accountability and preserve our precious democracy. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran McGarry. I'm podcast host of First Online with Friends. There's no place like art. And it is my mission to raise awareness of how the arts can help to make our world, our nature, our communities a richer, deeper, kinder place to live. And I'm so lucky today because my guest is Carla Debbie Aline. She's a playwright, screenwriter, director. She got her BFA, an MFA in film and television and dramatic writing from New York University. And it brings back some old memories, Carla, because uh, her play, Hey Little Walter, was produced off-Broadway at Playwrights Horizon as part of the Young Playwrights Festival when she was 16 years old. Welcome back, Carla. <laughs> Hi, Fran. So good to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, God, I get to talk to the grown-up, Carla. You know, <laughs> actually, no, we did talk as grown-ups when, when I did the workshop in, with your students. So, what what struck me when I read his book is that he encourages his readers to stand up to the lies and the hate and the racism and the bigotry so that nothing like this and other topics, of course, we'll talk about anything like that is going to happen again. And he urges us, he says, we will get through this trauma we will get through this nightmare, but only if we stand together. So to start us off here, what has been your experience as an artist and an educator to rally your students, your audiences to stand together? I would say that it's fairness. It's been like, there's been a lot of unfairness for certain people, certain demographics of people in this world, in the United States, you know, like what happened in Washington, D.C., what you just read about, if that was a group of African-Americans, it would have ended much differently. 
I truly believe that it would have probably become more violent and there would have been more lives lost. And so with that, as a person of color and also a teacher, I um, try to make my students be aware of what's going on and like climate of the world and how to, you know, how to communicate with police officers and also to utilize writing as a way to be able to release the stress and to release the pain that comes from navigating in a country and in the world as it is now. And with hopes that one day things will change for the better. We can only hope. And why it's so important for you to talk about that standing together and making a difference through your work. What's the key here as an artist? Let's let's start with you as, as a playwright. I would say the key is to, I think one of my struggles as a writer post young playwrights and even through the, the process of being a young playwright has always been that I felt like my work was not accepted because of who I am. And I think when Halo Walter was selected, I think it was something that was very different for the Young Playwrights Festival at the time. Before that, I'm not sure if they, who the young African-American writers were that went through the Young Playwrights, but I knew that after having a conversation with Nancy and Sherry and everyone, that my play, which was a hip hop play about two guys from the hood selling drugs was something that was a first for them. And so my journey, like they gave me a platform um, as a writer and they allowed my voice to be shared with the world. And, you know, I was able to get a scholarship to NYU and it was an amazing experience for me. But I also kept running into these walls of, you know, when I had scripts that was at Miramax or HBO at that time in the 90s, they were like a romantic comedy with African-Americans. Like it was some of these things were not being made, these kind of projects. So I kept running into walls. And until like now, I'm seeing that more projects, a lot more projects, thank God for Netflix and streaming and stories that I was writing back then that I thought was, this is my normal life. These are people I'm dealing with are now being made. But I went through a lot that <laughs> like I would, I had so much, I was like, can, can I get one more rejection? My God, you know, and nothing wrong with my writing. There's not, you know, I feel confident as a writer. I've been trained, but it was just, my stories were foreign or just not the stories that Hollywood wanted to tell. Then in order to get your stories made, you need money if you're going to do it independently, right? So that was always something that I never, I was always waiting for someone else to do. And I think now I'm at a place where I'm like, okay, I have some scripts here that I'm really confident about, and I just have to figure out how to get the money to see it done. It's always the money, right? Yeah. But technology has made things a little bit easier. We have these iPhones now that people are shooting independent films on. I don't have any excuse anymore. You know, I need to. <laughs> I've never, I would not accuse you of, of <laughs> relenting with your excuses. One of the things that you brought up is so important and why I'm writing a book about it. And that is how young playwrights, they were doing cutting edge work. Yeah. way before anybody else. Let's not even mention 
having a 16 year old having her play, you know, be performed at Playwrights Horizons. But it was also cutting edge in that you were treated like a professional. And I think what I want to know your thoughts on is how did that lay the foundation for you as an emerging writer? Oh my gosh, it was. I mean, first of all, I didn't, st I started writing just based on the write a play poster that I saw in the hallway of my high school. Which one was it? Was it the you have the right to remain silent one? Before Not that, I think it was just like the pencil. And oh. then it was just like the statement, write a play. And I was like, what is that? This looks, write a play. And I, I've always liked writing and written a lot of poetry in elementary and middle school. But I've never thought about writing a play. So I was in another, I was in a school um, William Maxwell, and I had, I can even remember the assistant principal of English at that school. His name was Norman Cass. And I remember going to him and saying, you know, I want to, I would love to do this. Like, I would love to write. And he was like, go ahead and, and do it. And I just wrote this like six page play called An Act of Love. And it was about two gay men that was in love with each other. And then at the end of the play, like one of them finds out he has AIDS and he dies. And I was like 13. <laughs> like, and I'm like, what? Early version of Angels in America. Huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is going on in the world. And I want to be able to express what this is. Cause I'm trying to, I, I always, you know, I figure I write about things that I'm trying to figure out. I started then and and now I'm kind of like the same way. It helps me find answers. And and that one, it made like honorable mention. I don't even know if I, those tickets where you can go into the city and go to the award ceremony. And every year, like, you know, they would have these amazing award ceremonies with people from Cassie Lemons, actors that are huge now or doing big things now. And because the young playwrights was so much into the the thick of it, and I didn't even understand it back then, but I just knew that those award ceremonies had me excited to come back and write again and see if I can write better and come it's back. Incentive. Yeah, yes, and we will always get a two an album, a Stephen Sondheim album, like you know, Into the Woods with his signature on it, and like they would also give us like. $500 check or something like that. Yeah. And it was just something that kept me inspired. And I would have never, if there wasn't the Young Playwrights Festival with that write a play poster on the wall, I would have never even, I don't think, considered it. Maybe, I don't know. And I, and then every year, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, Halo Walter won. I think I had another one after that. Halo Walter won. Everything, my whole world, my whole life changed. Janet Nypress, who was the head of the dramatic writing program. Yeah. Yeah. And she said, no application process, nothing. She was like, we would just would love you to come to NYU in the dramatic writing program. And I was like, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> and I applied the year before and didn't get in. So I was like, this is incredible, like amazing. And then Nancy Quinn and Gerald Chapman were just like these incredible forces. Think back of Nancy and who she was, went to Finch College, just well-connected, 
great personality and and they kind of used me for a little while as like the uh face of young playwrights because I they were I was always being invited to the events and to talk and to share and it was just exciting for me exciting for, I would be nervous sometimes but I just remember the heart of uh, the excitement, especially with Gerald Chapman. I got to meet Gerald Chapman like probably when I was in ninth and 10th grade. So he, I don't think he experienced me winning anything, but he came from, he had an amazing British accent and you could just. <laughs> and a girl from, where are you? You were from the Bronx, weren't you? I was from Brooklyn. Oh, Brooklyn. Oh my God. Your girl from Brown Heights, Brooklyn. So Nancy lived in Park Slope at the time with her husband. Wow. So we had that in common because I went to high school in Park Slope um, to John Jay High School. So there was times when at during the festival or during performances, after performances, I would drive home. I can't remember who was driving, but we would be in the car. It would be the Brooklyn group heading back to Brooklyn. And it was always me, Nancy, I think Sherry, too, heading yeah. back to Brooklyn. All of these wonderful memories that you're bringing up is why it's like, I got to write a book about this. You have to, you know? because and, all the other young playwrights comes yeah. from this. And I've, I've had tremendous support, but this is not about me. This is about- But can I tell you that I remember you too back then? <laughs> maybe in high school or maybe yeah. my first year well, in college that I met you. That's when I was working on my dissertation. That is how Sherry asked me to be the director of instruction. You know, So yes. when it all goes around, comes around. I want to get back to that standing together, that idea of uh, young playwrights giving you that foundation and making you strong to to challenge those norms, to to challenge what is going on in our country. Election Day just went by and it's like we need to, as artists, we need to lay that foundation and say, do you understand what is happening and what the consequences are. And that's why I read uh, Harry Dunn's book. I mean, when he testified, I'm like, whatever this guy is doing, I'm going to support him. It's having that voice. I think that's so important. And why I'm just busting a gut with pride that you are so successful and you have so much going on. Let's get back to that standing together through your work. I think that's what the, the uh, archivist. Artivist, yeah. Artivist, artivist, yeah. yeah. Which is a combination of art and activism, you oh, know. Oh, I love yeah. that. I was going to ask you artivist because I'm like, what does that mean? Well, the original artivist, which who I believe, um, and I'm sure there was before him, but I wrote about Bayard Rustin, who was basically the right hand to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for many years. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wanted to work closely with him, but there was always some sort of like interference because of his sexuality. He was a gay Quaker, right? From Pennsylvania and a black man. And so there was a lot of issues with him, you know, working with Dr. King, but he was an incredible singer, beautiful voice. And he was this kind of pioneer guy that actually worked with Dr. King, helped Dr. King organize the march in Washington, was able to get all of the celebrities and everybody he wanted to support him at the March of Washington and made a lot of amazing changes. And so his 
musical abilities, his art, his you know creativity, and in combination with the activism is what got me the name Artivist. And also Jamal Joseph, who was a part of an organization that I was as a kid, the City Kids Foundation, um, used that term a lot. He was the uh, artistic director for years and he went on to teach film at Columbia University and he was at Black Panther. And so that was a term that it has been around. And I was just like, it'll be perfect name for this one man show that I'm working on. And not many people know about Bayard Rustin. And there's a movie coming out about Bayard Rustin. Really? Like, yes, I think like, if not today, tomorrow, or it's George C. Wolf directed this movie. Wow about Bayer Rustin that's coming out. And I'm hoping that it's going to be looked upon for the Oscars. But I think nobody, there's no one perfect for that project than George Seawolf, who also went to oh, NYU, yeah. the dramatic writing department, who and, also and was on the York, Young Playwrights Board. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard George Seawolf was doing that. I was like, yes, that's the that's the person for that project, you know, because I mean, I have a lot of honor and respect for George Seawolf, remembering him even as a teen. Yeah, I remember him coming in. He did uh, workshop sessions. At the time, it was Jerome Hairston. Um, yes, yes. Jerome has went on We're to do down. some amazing things. I haven't spoken to Jerome, but I've seen his name on credits for like television shows, Snowfall. So he's out there working. And, and you know, you bring out another good point, Carla, is that, yeah, you can be this starving actor and fall into that syndrome or you can say this is what I have to offer and this is what I'm going to do and one of the qualities that I admire that you not only you know your talented uh, playwriting skills but also your talent as an educator like you took what you knew and you brought it back to your students Thank you. I think you, I think you play a part in that too. You know, when I met you, you were an educator. Yeah. And you would talk to me, we had meetings and we talked and you talked about doing stuff in your classrooms. And I think when a part of my, when I was making decisions, when it came to theater and I still wanted to be close to the theater, but I also loved what, how it affected me as a young person. So when I went into teaching, I thought it was only going to be very short, a couple years while I work on scripts. And I realized, oh my God, I cannot work on scripts and teach at the same time, at least to teach effectively as I want to. On top of it, kids wanted to do after school shows. So then it was like, I put down the scripts for a little while, focused on the kids. And then I had to kind of like, within the years that have passed, I had to kind of say, at some point I need to get back into writing full time because I will be a teacher for the rest of my life. And I love teaching, but I mean, writing is my passion, right? I remember when you interviewed me when, when I was like 16 or 17 or, and you told me about the classroom and you doing it. And I loved working in the classroom with my students. I loved it. You know? Yes. And what goes around comes around. You know, when I was director of instruction, we had booked a, a workshop with your kids. I mean, you know, and another thing I wanted to talk to you about is this whole new counter culture woke thing about critical race theory. And, you know, you can't do this and this whole censorship. That was another thing that I loved about young playwrights is like, there was no censorship. 
we did it all. I don't understand the censorship, what's going on with censorship and schools and books and not wanting certain books and wanting other books. I think that that needs to stop. I think everyone, every group, as a writer, I use writing as a means of healing. And I find that we are in a world of unhealed people, even looking at Israel and Palestine right now, which is very, you know, no one wants to discuss it, especially people in the industry, because everyone's like, I don't want to lose my job, but I'm going to be honest to say that there's healing that was needed there that never really happened. Because if you go trace them back, you see that biblically, these are two brothers that are fighting and that has been fighting. And to come out of the Holocaust, to set up Israel as a nation, there's still need for healing. Where's the healing time? I personally would like ceasefire because these group of people who committed the act is the one who should be targeted, not everybody else. Right, right. right. So you, with the World Trade Center, take we didn't go after the whole country of Afghanistan. We went after the people who were involved. And that's where I think that's where fear is fair. And that's why everybody's reacting. And as far as culture is concerned today, African-Americans, Caribbean-Americans, people from the African diaspora as myself also feel like, did we really have a time to heal post, you know, slavery ending or is systematically is or systemically is slavery is slavery has a whole different face. You know, it went from slavery to Jim Crow to a system being set up, no affirmative action, no anymore, at least and or not functional because every application you fill out, they're asking you, what is your race? Why do you want to know my race for a job? You know what I mean? Is that going to affect me getting this job for the positive or for the worst? And my personal experience has been, I have been in interviews for jobs and I've really felt like I didn't get this job because of my color. And so is this going to keep happening or are we going to, do we need to speak out about it to bring change? And I think what you're hearing now is the cries for change, for fairness, for equality, like really, really, truly, you know? And that's where our art can play that role. I'd like you to talk a little bit more about um, your latest project, where that's going, where I wrote that letter of recommendation for you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, my fingers are still crossed. That was not your first letter of recommendation that you've written for me either. I think you wrote one for me. You've written a couple in the past. Um, don't want to do my PhD, Fran. I hope you know that too. That's another thing that's in, that I'm inspired by you. Oh, I God. definitely want to do that. I started oh, one. At hey, you know what? Yeah. It's, it's always there. And, you know, to your point too, um, my doctoral advisor, you know, said, well, you're going to get your PhD or are you going to continue to direct eight plays a year? You can't do both. It's like you said, it's like the writing, it's making a choice and say, okay, this is what, what I got to do. So let's get back to you. What do you have to do? So now <laughs> I am working on a musical based on the life of Coretta Scott King, which came out of um, The Artivist. But even as I was working with On The Artivist and Bayard, I bet met Bayard's beautiful husband and I was talking to him and I told him he was asking me what do you want to do next and I said I want to turn this into a bigger musical piece but one of the people that have always been of interest to me even when I went to before I went to NYU I did 
uh, one year at Antioch College in Ohio. And the reason why I went there was because Coretta Scott King went there. I've always looked up to Coretta Scott King. Like she is the woman that I want to be. And so now I am working on developing, taking that script, including Bayard in the musical, but writing specifically a musical that is about her life, what she had to give up to become, you know, the wife of Dr. King and to raise his children, but also being very vocal and very instrumental in the civil rights movement, especially after his assassination. And I just feel like that is a story. I love telling stories from women's perspective, especially Black women. And I just feel like our voices have not been heard as much as it needs to be. So that is one project that I'm working on now. And then the, another project I'm working on is called Five Star Heiress, which is a screenplay that I'm rewriting right now. Um, and that's about a young African-American girl from the projects who finds out that she is royalty because her mother married a African prince based on a green card marriage. But when he died, she you know, lost connection and then later on finds out. So I think for me, that story goes back to just lineage of things that was lost because of slavery. And it takes a talent to shed light on these subjects and to share your love for your message and to have audiences say, I never thought about it that way. Right? Yes. <laughs> I don't remember half the stuff that you were taught. I'm like, I, really? <laughs> <laughs> Just remember three very strong women as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, 18. You guys were kind of like a base for me for so long. Nancy passed, I think, in 94, 96 or 94. And, you know, Sherry, even post-graduation and post-teaching, hosted workshops that I was doing for writers. And I mean, you guys have always been a base and an inspiration to me and Brett and Ben and just, it was just a great group of people who wanted to see young people soar. You know, it wasn't only me, but it was so many other young people, so many that and the organization also extended itself to starting the careers. Cameron Mannheim, Stephen. Yes, Harold Perrineau, Seth Gilliam, you know, Wendell Pierce, Tanya Pinkin. So many people came through the Young Playwrights Festival. Oyamo, directors, Mark Brokaw, like Michael Mayer. Yeah. Some really amazing, amazing talent. So I hope at some point, we can come together and share the story of Young Players, but also bring it back because Broadway is a different place now. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think Young Players yeah. played a part yeah. in that. Emily Mon was talking about that last night. Alexa Green. And you know, I met her with you. You invited me to an event. It was me and a friend. And I'm trying to remember. And I think I was going, I was studying at Princeton Seminary. So I knew about the MacArthur. I've, I've seen shows there. I've always tried to connect with her. And I never got to connect with her until I went to an event with you and I was sitting with her and her assistant and we talked for like an hour. And she told me that she was, lead, at that point, she was on her way out. Yeah, she recently retired. Yeah. She's 
So maybe we can get together. Okay. But I met her and I don't think, I think you were busy at that event. You were running around doing things. So I don't think you knew, or I thought maybe you knew her, but we, I, I sat there and we talked about Princeton. We talked about like Felicia Rashad had done a piece there and I went to see that fences or something like like that like I think she did fences Felicia or, Rashad and we talked the, about that she's in the she's in the the production that they're doing they're she's, very close yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was I, through you I met her it is and why I have to write this book and why I have to get it published and with a little bit of help from my friends it's and you have a whole dissertation to pull from too have you pulled oh, yeah. from oh yeah I wrote the book okay <laughs> Because I always thought that after the dissertation, you were going to get it published, but I think that this is the time. And all of that information we're going to add onto the blog and links so that people can um, not only listen to our conversation, but also uh, check you out on the uh, the podcast blog. Thank you. This is like heartwarming to me. And thank you so much. Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hare Media and recorded at We Chief Studio Productions. <laughs>